<laughs> Good morning, everyone. <laughs> I see, oh, so much joy. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Well, welcome back. Welcome back. Um, we have a full morning session this morning. So we're going to start off. Ricky is going to play another song for us live this morning. <laughs> There's already some yays I can hear <laughs> telepathically. And uh, yeah, then I'm going to just open up and share um, a parable this morning, which just has so much in it about um, surrendering and trusting and yeah, and some of this experience of, of really opening to divine providence and the steps that come towards that, to, to opening it up to it. Um, so that just feels very, very inspiring. And then we're going to have like an open mic and uh, go over to Mexico. And then we're going to just have some of the questions that were written in by you all. Um, as the springboard for this morning's session to see which of those um, questions or the elements of some of those questions will launch us into, yeah, really going into this theme. And then, as you know, down there in Mexico, we have um, a whole group available to see, you know, who the parables or the answers are going to come through. And then uh, after lunch, we will have just a one-hour break for lunch instead of two hours. And then we'll come back for our bonus session. <laughs> and we'll just see how long we go for. Um, we're going to be intuitive and just flow with it. So we're just wide open. If it's one hour and we're complete, or if it's longer than that, if it's two hours, we're, just, we're in the Holy Spirit's hands. So that makes us very happy. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to pass it over to Ricky. We're going to have some, yeah, beautiful song of hers. And the lyrics are just perfect for this whole theme. Yeah, yeah they are. I think. Introduce it at all. I will, just because I, I actually wrote this song right before I moved to community almost almost seven years ago. And I remember just, I was on the beach living there. I had everything and it wasn't enough. And I was studying the course and yeah, it's called Wait Here because it's divine providence to me because I, my prayer you'll hear in this song, like I'm so tired of this life and I'm gonna have this happy dream, you know? And, and I wanted to go so bad. And when I lived in New Orleans, I. I was a runner. I lived off every single exit. I just kept moving houses and trying to find a better life, you know, whatever. I just moved a lot. I left whole apartments full of furniture and clothes, just trying to create a new life. But in this one, it says, wait here until I get the message from Jesus where, where I'm to go. So it was a hard wait. It was a long, hard wait. And then I ended up in living in community. <laughs> and so I just... I heard this song this morning. I'm like, how does this relate to divine providence? But it does. It's, you will hear 
you will be, maybe not in words, but you will know which way to go if your prayer is, is like on your knees praying, like I've had enough, I'm ready to change this life. So thanks.
<laughs> oh, thank you, Ricky. That was perfect. <laughs> oh. <laughs> perfect. Yeah, and that's really, that's the prayer. It's not just like once when you're on your knees. It's like let that prayer, I will wait here. I'm not going anywhere. Like that becomes our daily living practice to the point where you just refuse to go anywhere without feeling that connection with the Holy Spirit, knowing that we're guided. So yeah, it starts off as being a big falling on your knees once in a lifetime thing. And then you realize that just becomes more and more integrated from being like, you don't need to be in such a devastation surrender. Like the surrender gets softer and softer and softer and softer until it just becomes your state of mind, you're in a constant prayer, like living in this prayer of, I do not know my own best interests. I will not move without you. Oh, you're here. <laughs> and here we go together. So, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to um, share with you all. I know many of you have read my book and some of you have been involved with translating it. Um, actually, uh, but for those of you who are not familiar with it, it's it's amazing. It's an amazing book, and I highly recommend it as a really helpful um, resource for yeah for learning what divine providence is. And it's my journey that first two to three years uh, where I was going into the course so deeply and I was with David, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And, and so the support to very clearly see when my self-concept was an operation versus the Holy Spirit's presence, which was right there in front of me in contrast the whole time meant that I got to see what was not divine providence? I got to see uh, my myself concept, and and then I, through journaling, wrote it out and explored. And it's all so detailed in this book. Going through, opening up to seeing where the self was in operation in all these different areas of my life and my mind. And as David was describing yesterday about the laws of nutrition, you know, the laws of friendship, it's in the book when I was walking down the supermarket aisle reading the ingredients of the peanut butter jar and freezing, like, whoa, okay, what do I do? Which peanut butter do I choose? You know, I'm not the Holy Spirit yet, and I don't want to be Kirsten anymore, but I'm paralyzed because I, I can't just pretend these beliefs aren't in my mind. Help. And so going, going through step by step of, of seeing, oh, my God, I have all these beliefs about nutrition. And then the same in the bathroom, seeing that the self-concept was in operation and I was going through the motions, having a shower, looking after the body, washing the hair. And it was in this feeling of not being in joy, 
know, actually in a state of mind that was compromised was more, this is what I have to do. And step by step, realizing that state of mind and then stopping and facing the fear of letting go of my control over how I live in that way and then inviting the Holy Spirit into it. And so this is the process that I went through in all of these different areas. You have to see it first. So like yesterday when, when Lisa and Francis and Jenny were sharing some of those parables about the, the role, like the mother role or the daughter role, what does that have to do with divine providence? Everything. Everything. You have to see the role that you're playing, the self-concept that you're locked into first. And you, and you have to see that it's not what you want anymore before you can start to invite the Holy Spirit in and start to have it loosened to then let the Spirit come in you know, and show you divine providence and who you truly are. So this morning I wanted to share with you uh, this, this parable. Um, of this experience that I had with Jackie, uh, who is my mother. She introduced me to the Course in Miracles. And then she also took her steps deeper and deeper and um, joined the community. And she's one of our, our mystics in the community. Um, and at this time, we were in Australia and we were going to go from the town that we were staying in. We had a spiritual community in Australia for about four years. And we had to go to Sydney, to the city, uh, for her to get a visa so that she could come over to the States and have a tourist visa so she could come in for six months at a time. So I'm going to share this whole story with you of what happened when we went, um, we caught the train from this town and went to Sydney to the city to get her visa because it's loaded. It's a loaded story <laughs> um, that just demonstrates, yeah, this whole thing. I feel like it has the answers to many questions of how. What is divine providence? And just to kind of start the story off, there's a couple of paragraphs in the, the course uh, that are, are it. And the first one is from Lesson 50, I am sustained by the love of God, the very first paragraph. Here is the answer to every problem that will confront you today and tomorrow and throughout time. In this world, you believe you are sustained by everything but God. Your faith is placed in the most trivial and insane symbols. And he goes on to describe some of those. Only the love of God will protect you in all circumstances. 
it will lift you out of every trial and raise you high above all the perceived dangers of this world and into a climate of perfect peace and safety. It will transport you into a state of mind that nothing can threaten, nothing can disturb, and where nothing can intrude upon the eternal calm of the Son of God. Put not your faith in illusions, they will fail you. Put all your faith in the love of God within you, eternal, changeless, and forever unfailing. This is the answer to whatever confronts you today. Through the love of God within you, you can resolve all seeming difficulties without effort and ensure confidence. Tell yourself this often today, and that's the lesson, I am sustained by the love of God. It is a declaration of release from the belief in idols. It is your acknowledgement of the truth about yourself. And then from lesson 74, there is no will but God's. And this is what we're aligning our mind with to know divine providence. There is no will but God's. And then we have to see, you know, where I do believe I have a separate will. I do believe I want to be in charge of my bathroom habits, my food, my this, my that. That's where the conflict lies. And so this is the healing we're going through is, is realizing, okay, that's just conflict. <laughs> it's not truth. It's not what I want. It's not who I am. There is no will but God's. The idea for today can be regarded as the central thought to which all our exercises are directed. God's is the only will. When you have recognized this, you have recognized that your will is his. The belief that conflict is possible has gone. Peace has replaced the strange idea that you are torn by conflicting goals. As an expression of the will of God, you have no goal but his. Okay. So Jackie and I, <laughs> we're in Morissette, Australia, and we were going down to Sydney, Australia for her, her visa appointment in the, uh, the US consulate office in the middle of Sydney. And she researched the train timetables. And so we got up early, we got on the train, and everything was mapped out according to time, knowing how far we had to travel. It was about a, on the fast train, it was going to take us about an hour to get to Sydney. And then we had our Google Maps printed out. We didn't have um, our iPhones at the time with, <laughs> with Google Maps running. This is going back a few years. So we had our printed out Google Maps with the directions, approximately how long it would take to walk you know, all the way to the consulate office. And we knew we were going to come out of the train station. We knew which exit to take. We would turn right, we had to walk down two blocks, we had to cross the road, we had to walk another three blocks past a park, with a green park, we could see it 
it was green, so there was a little city park there. And then we were going to turn up this main pedestrian walkway, very broad space. And then we were going to turn right into the consulate building. And we'd already been told that that building is, is quite complicated to find the office in that building. But we had faith. We had time. We'd mapped it all out. So we got on the train and the announcer came over, the speaker, and started saying all of these stations that we were going to stop at on the way to Sydney. And he listed about 16 of them. And we just looked at each other and we were like, okay, that's unexpected. We were, we're supposed to be on a fast train. So we just prayed and, and joined together and thought, okay, we'll just stay in prayer. This is Jesus's plan. If Jesus wants Jackie to you know, have this visa, then he's going to have to help us out. So we're just there in prayer. And then the announcer came over again and he said, okay, in the next 10 minutes, we'll be stopping at this station and then this station, and this station. And I could see the thoughts start to run through my mind. Like, oh no, whose fault is this? <laughs> Immediately, the guilt and the blame comes up. Jackie researched the train timetables. Oh no, I shouldn't have trusted her. I should have joined with her. I should have looked at them. It's my fault. I should have checked the train timetables. So I had all these attack thoughts running through my mind. I'm like, okay, just pray, release, forgive. You don't have to say the thoughts. And then I could feel her kind of getting tense beside me. We're like, okay, we just have to trust. Again, Jesus, this is your plan. We're just going to have to give it over to you. So we're there in prayer. The announcer comes over again. He's got the slowest voice you've ever heard. <laughs> and he's listing out all the stations we're going to stop at. By this point, and he told us, yeah, we were like, there's no way. There's no way we're going to get to Sydney. And then we have like at least a 15-minute walk to get to the building, you know, if we walk really fast. So we just looked at each other and we said, okay, we have to call on the power of the miracle with everything we've got. And we'd been in this situation before and we had experienced the power of Jesus arranging time and space for us. Funnily enough, it was another, it was when I was going to get my visa in New Zealand. <laughs> so we knew, you know, what Jesus could do. So we just joined in absolute innocence. And I said to her, I did have a thought that maybe you messed it up with the train timetable, but I went straight past it. I don't believe that's true. She was like, I know I looked at the right train, train table. There's, there's, no, there's no way we're not on the right train. We're like, okay, that's it. Let's just pray, pray, pray. So we just sat there in, in prayer. And in that, that lesson, as it said, you know, have no idols. We're like, okay, even the goal, what is our goal? Is it really to get a visa right now? Is it to get somewhere in time right now? Is it really about Jackie as a person getting something? We're just willing to let it all go and come into that place of 
complete peace. We just wanted to be above the battleground. We just wanted to be in joy. We wanted to just say, okay, this day is yours, God. We give it to you completely. We let go of all of our goals, including the visa. And then if this is your plan, then we trust, you know, you're in charge. And we went into such peace. And we were in prayer for 10 minutes. And then the announcer's voice came over the speaker. And he said, this is a surprise announcement, but this train has been rerouted. We will not be stopping at the following stations, blah, 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 blah. We will be going direct to Sydney Station. <laughs> Can you believe it? And we looked at each other and we were like, what about the rest of the passengers on the train who wanted to get off on the other stops? We were like, oh, that's right. There are no other passengers on this train. This is all our mind. There are no passengers. No, this is just us. This is just one mind and it's Jesus's plan. So we were in such joy, such joy of this like incredible experience. It's like this is Matrix. You know, this is really Neo realizing, whoa, I'm the one. I, I'm the one. I'm just the presence of spirit. There is no real world. So we were in this joy. We stayed in prayer. We're like, okay. We have a mission. He obviously wants us to get there. So we arrived at Sydney Station and it was tight. We had to get her to her appointment within five minutes. There was still no way. Even if we walked really fast, there was no way according to Google Maps with the distances, the size of the city, the blocks that we had to walk, even if we ran. And we prayed. We were like, are we to run? And we just felt... No, actually, we're not. We're not to run. We're to walk swiftly. We're to go as swift as we can, but we're not to be in fear. We still have to stay with this presence of, this is your will, God. This is your plan. So we got up out of Sydney Station, and our minds were so clear and so riveted on following the Holy Spirit's prompts. We just knew intuitively where to go, up the escalator, there's the exit, follow it, go. We were just together. We turned out of Sydney Station, we turned to the right, we started walking, and I swear what was meant to be two blocks to the traffic lights, we, we, we turned right and about... 10 feet away was the pedestrian crossing to cross the road. We looked at each other like, what? Just don't stop and think about it. Just go. We walked. The lights turned green, the pedestrian <clears throat> lights. We crossed the road. We went to walk. There was supposed to be a park. We are supposed to be walking for two blocks past a big park. There was no park. Don't stop and think about it. Just go. The pedestrian walkway was right there. We'd been walking for approximately one minute. Don't stop and think about it. Just keep going. We walk up this big pedestrian walkway towards the consulate building, which happens to be the big pedestrian walkway in the scene of the Matrix where Morpheus first takes Neo into the Matrix and they're walking through all of those people. They, they filmed it in Sydney. And so we're walking up right where, you know, where all of those people are walking towards them and Morpheus is like a a fish just swimming up the river and between all the people and Neo's bumping into everybody because it's his first visit, you know, into the matrix and he doesn't know he's the one. We were like Morpheus. We just like 
through all of these people, there's the consulate building. We walked in and then it was like this team of angels with a relay race. We walked in, someone was walking towards us. We need these, the US consulate. He turned around, he said, follow me, I'll take you there. <laughs> okay, <laughs> this guy, he, he leads us. He, show, he shows, go up this escalator, turn right, go around the corner, and then you need to get into an elevator. Okay, we came around. Okay, where do we need to go? A woman walks past. How do we get to the consulate? Follow me. I'll take you there. She turned around and followed us. She said, get in the escalator. It'll take you up, and you're right there. We were there at her office building early, like two minutes before <laughs> her appointment. It was just phenomenal. We went in for, for her appointment, and... She went in, she had the most holy, joyful encounter with the, with this, the U.S. consulate. The young man was almost flirting with her. He was just so overjoyed to give her a visa. And she said, well, I'm just, he said, why are you going to America? She said, well, you know, I'm retired now and I just, you know, I want to come and go from New Zealand and Australia to America, and I'd like to be able to stay for six months at a time. And he said, well, how long are you applying for your visa for? She said, just three years. He said, let's go for 10. Let's go for 10 years. No, and then you don't have to think about it again. It's only an extra $100. She said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> she skips out of the U.S. consulate with a 10-year visa. <laughs> We went, <laughs> it just doesn't stop. We went downstairs to celebrate. And by then we were just, you know, that feeling when you're just like, you're being, so, the spirit is washed through so much. Like we're hardly even a body now being held together. It's like, we just feel like we're like particles of light. So we thought, let's just, let's go and have a cappuccino. So we, <laughs> we went downstairs to this um, this cafe, and we went to get a, a cappuccino. And Jackie, one of her whims is cappuccinos. She loves beautiful coffee. So, but we were in this phase of well, only if it's guided, if it's the Holy Spirit's will, you know, we won't try to make nice coffees happen. And so we <laughs> so we went downstairs. We go to this cafe. And this Italian waiter comes up to her. <laughs> Just, I can feel the whole experience again now. It's like, God's will for us is just like perfect happiness. And he, <laughs> this Italian waiter, well, no, Australian waiter in an Italian restaurant comes up to her like this was her day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> And he said to her, what would you like? And she said, well, I would love a cappuccino. And he said, well, just today. <laughs> if you would like two cappuccinos, 
I will sing you a love song. And so she looked at me and she said, what? She said, okay. So he said, I'll bring you, I'll bring you each your first cappuccino, you know, and then so it doesn't go cold. So he brings us both these, these most beautiful cappuccinos, you know. And we're sitting there with our cappuccinos. We're just still basking in this amazement. And then the waiter comes up to her and he starts singing her the song in Italian. And she knew a little bit of Italian and French, just enough to pick up what he was singing. And he was singing to her, when your presence walks into the room, the walls fall away. <laughs> And your presence emanates throughout the whole universe. <laughs> like that's the song he was singing to her in Italian. And he finished the song. He said, now I'll go and get you your second cappuccino. <laughs> uh, and this was all symbolic for her of, she was in prayer, like, really show me this is my path. You know, I'm giving my life over to this. Show me I'm meant to be in America, you know, at least six months of the year. And so this was just, you know, Jesus just saying, yeah. <laughs> There's absolutely no room for doubt. No. And then, yeah, we we had breakfast and then we, we started to make our way back to the train station. And according to Google Maps... Yeah, it was quite a long walk. <laughs> and physically, we walked back down the pedestrian walkway. And that was a, that was a solid seven-minute walk, to walk just down the pedestrian walkway. And we turned right, and we walked past the park that was there. It was two blocks walking past the park. And as we were walking past the park... <laughs> All of these, by this time, all of these people in the city were on their way to work, you know, in their business suits, and they're all walking, you know, on their way to work with their heads down, you know, their kind of earphones in, and no one looking at each other, just, you know, city scene. And there was this homeless man, the spitting image of Truman's father from the Truman Show, sitting on the park bench. And he was singing as we started getting closer and closer. He was singing, hi-ho, hi-ho. And so to work we go, hi-ho, 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 hi-ho. And then we walked up to him and he just looked at us with the most biggest beaming smile you've ever seen in your life. And we just carried on walking another block. It was another nine-minute walk back to Sydney Station. <laughs> so yes once you have accepted his plan as the one function that you would fulfill there will be nothing the Holy Spirit will not arrange for you yeah <laughs> so I just yeah I'm so grateful to have these these real life experiences to share with you all. Yeah, that our life truly, it's like our part is to is to learn 
how we're blocking the way and to just keep opening up and surrendering into this divine plan, this divine plan that wants to carry us and, and do it all for us and arrange everything for us. And yeah, I'm not special. Jackie's not special. We just are going for this 100%. And so we're just so joined in, yeah, in this prayer and in this mission that we have together. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to hand over to Mexico now and we're going to, yeah, look at some of the questions that you have. And at some point we'll open it up for questions too. And when it comes to that point, I really encourage you to, um, yeah, to, to, because the time is so short and so precious and some who are here may have never asked a question before. And some of you may have some fear and unworthiness to dare to take the time to take the mic. And so I really encourage you if you're there and you just have this feeling like, Oh, I don't know if I could dare ask for help or if, you know, if you're there and your hands are shaking and you're like, I don't even know if I have the words to formulate the question, then please know that you are invited. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thank you. That's, that's a perfect lead-in to our talk today. And hopefully, as always happens with our retreats, that that one parable and that lead-in that Kirsten just did, just wiped out <laughs> the whole thing. Uh, you know, usually that's the way it is with us. You know, we have everything written out and written down. We like to be attentive. And then the parables, you know, people show up at the gatherings and then they say, oh, I was just listening to you talk and all of the questions disappeared from my mind. Mm. And that's a common thing that we experience with our gatherings. I like that arranging time and space. Jesus says in the Course, if you'll be a miracle worker for me, I will arrange time and space for you. And that's something that our, that's our mama, our daddy never told us that when we were growing up, that, well, if you choose to go into the miracle working vocation, then <laughs> Jesus will actually arrange time and space for you, and you don't need degrees and education and all these other, you know, we never got that talk. But actually, um, there's findings that have been happening for, let's say, the last six decades since um, quantum physics was discovered. You know, you think about splitting the atom and Niels Bohr, and you go into the teachings of quantum physics, Susan's here, she's got her show Leap on, on certain Sundays that explores that. But basically, um, one of the things I'll tell you that, that was discovered in quantum physics, and, and Einstein actually uh, talked about this quite a lot. Most people think of Einstein and they think of the theory of relativity. Well, before Einstein, most people believed that there were certain things in our perceptual world that were absolutes. And 
time and space were seen as absolutes. So what does that even mean? T time is an absolute. It means one second is one second is one second. One second is always one second. It doesn't matter if it's a Russian second or a Chinese second or a da Danish second or a French second. People would say that's ridiculous. It doesn't matter what country you're in or what culture. A second is always a second. But, of course, the physicist took uh, what's an atomic clock, which is the most accurate clock on Earth, and they had one atomic clock, and they, it was set next to another atomic clock, both with the same time, both the most accurate clocks you could have, and then they left one on Earth, and they put another one in a supersonic jet, and sent the atomic clock around the Earth at supersonic speeds, and when they came, when the plane landed and they put the two clocks together, they weren't the same. And now we know with black holes uh, that gravity has, has a huge influence on time. That if you were in or near a, a black hole, that you would not perceive time in the same way. That it's not just a millisecond here or there, it's huge amounts, you know. What you would consider time on Earth would be vastly different if you were even near a black hole. So what the physicists showed us was that, that time was not absolute and that time is relative. It's a relative perception. And if I said to you about your own experiences, you know when you're playing, when you're having fun, when you're in the joy, like Kirsten was describing, you're in the miracle, you can lose track of the passage of time. You know, you're surprised sometimes when you, someone tells you the time and you say, what? I can't believe that it's that time. Because it's relative, it's a perception. Time is just a perception, it's not an absolute. And neither is space. We know that time and space are connected and in fact in A Course in Miracles uh, basically Jesus says that time and space are two forms of the same error. So that's a key line. Time and space are two forms of the same error that what you consider to be just basic standards of time and space, you know, seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years, they're really relative. And all of your perception of the cosmos is just through a filter of the ego and no two people perceive exactly the same world. No two people see the same world because there's ego variations and it's all extremely relative. And so Kirsten's story about time collapse and about the space collapse that happened before her going to that uh, visa appointment for Jackie is, it shouldn't be that surprising. Once you start to understand that everything you perceive in time and space is happening through the filter of the ego and it's the filter of your preferences. You know, if you, even during that parable, when they were thinking they had so much time to get there, and this announcer came on and Kirsten noticed he was speaking very slowly, that was through the filter of, of time pressure, of uh-oh, um, we only have so much time and here he is talking slowly and talking about all these stops 
And you may notice that when you've had a certain job, or maybe you can think back to when you were in school and you came to the very end of the day of that job or that school time and you were watching the clock. You were watching that second hand. And you might, if you really wanted to get out of that work environment or get out of, of that classroom, how slow that hand, that second hand seemed to move. It, can, it seems very tedious, very slow. It just, it's almost like it takes, you see the effort it takes for the little second hand to move every little notch there. When you're, when you're waiting for the, the minute hand to <laughs> reach a certain point and you're watching the second hand, it goes very slow. It's perception of, of what you want and, and anticipation, like that Carly, is it Carly Simon song? Uh, anticipation is making me wait. You know, it's, it can go very slow. And as you know, when you're having fun and you're joyful, you don't you lose track of the passage of time. You're not even aware of those seconds. It just completely go from your awareness. That's a key component of of actually of divine providence. That that when you're focused on what you want and you start to focus on present happiness present joy, present love, and the more you can focus your mind on that, you actually pull your attention away from the past and away from the future, and you aim it like a laser beam right at the present moment. And you are actually just zooming into the holy instant. You are actually saving yourself and the whole world thousands of years as the world measures it. Jesus says that also in the Course, that the miracle can save thousands of years as the world judges it. So this is your function. This is why you're being called to be a miracle worker. You're being called to dive into this divine function of divine providence. And, and if you do that, if you actually take your mind and you focus it like I'm talking about, the parable that Kirsten just shared and the parable that all of us share, we have all these kind of time collapse parables and rearrangement of time and space that happen for us all the time because of our purpose, because of our focus. We're going for this awakening and, and therefore all of time and space is like very flexible and pliable and it's just shifting around. That parable that uh, Kirsten shared was not a rare parable. You know, she just alluded to the one too where she and Jackie were in New Zealand and uh, they had to go to Auckland actually to get um, Kirsten's uh, visa there for the United States as well. It was a religious visa actually and and they overslept. They just slept in. They, they basically uh, were supposed to get up and they overslept by a bunch of time, and then basically they have to take this heavy tra traffic main highway, the only highway into uh, Auckland, and they're both oh, stressing and fretting, and uh, we're not going to make it. Oh my God, we're going to be. They were looking at being, a, a, I don't know, Kirsten knows, was it over an hour, an hour or a couple hours late? They, they way overslept. They, 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 it wasn't even close. And when they finally got out, to hop on the highway, 
they were stunned, they were staggered, that it was like the highway, the busiest highway during the morning rush hour, the busiest time of uh, at this highway, it, there was hardly anybody on. It was almost a vacant highway when every other day it's packed. And they just looked at each other. What? <laughs> Monday morning. Monday morning traffic. Out of vanilla sky. Yeah, seen out of vanilla sky, like there's nobody on the highway, and uh, and so suddenly Jesus rearranged time and space, basically cleared a rush hour traffic highway, big multiple lane highway, and they just couldn't believe it. But they just were like, okay, okay. They hopped on and they zipped and glided, and again this time because there was no traffic and they were zooming on their car, they got there early again for this thing, this visa for, and you know these consulates, United States consulates, don't try to go in there late, you know, forget it. Your appointment's canceled and they probably put a mark on there, lazy, or something, you know, like turn them down when they come back. You know, so they get there early again, later on, they, how does Jesus even do this? How do you clear a major traffic on Monday morning, you know, any other time, for years they don't see anything like that. Tiger Woods was playing at a golf tournament there that morning, and people went a different way to go see Tiger. They were going to go see the number one golfer in the world, they weren't going to miss that, and they were skipping work and everything like this, and so Jesus just brought in Tiger. You know, you, you're going to be late for a, a, a visa appointment, no problem. I'll roll in Tiger there just on that morning. And again, two times now they weren't late, when both times it looked like they could have been late. Now we have a lot of parables because our parables don't always just involve time. Sometimes it involves we're guided to go see a property. And then we go see the property, and of course we, we see it, and we feel it, we experience it. We're almost like led there, but as is almost always the case, we don't have the money to buy the property. <laughs> we get led, you, you probably have seen that, like it's window shopping. You know, you go and you see something, and you go, wow, that's spectacular, would be nice. But... Then we start to get signs and symbols, and then donations come in, things start to happen, and before you know it, uh, we're, we're there using the property, living in it. Uh, with, and this happens over and again. You know, this isn't like a one-shot deal. This has happened over and over and over and over. And there's a lot of variations to this divine providence, because it shouldn't be surprising that if it's a reflection of your mind's devotion, if, if Jesus said 2,000 years ago, take no thought for what you should wear and eat, seek ye first the kingdom, all things else will be added unto you. If he told us, look at the lilies of the field, they neither spin nor toil, and yet even Solomon is not arrayed in clothes like this. You know, he's, he said a lot back 2,000 years ago, and then... He says a lot in the Course, actually. He's got a lot of promises, and he's basically saying that as long as you serve the purpose, 
the body will be maintained, everything you need will be provided, and it will be renewed by the Holy Spirit as long as you have need of it. I mean, he just comes flooding in with, in case you missed it, in 2,000 years ago, maybe you don't like the Bible here, I'll give it to you in modern day contemporary language, he gives it to you really strong and says, if you'll do your function and miracle working, I'll provide every, I'll take care of everything else. And when he says everything else, he means everything. He doesn't mean, I'll take care of this and this and this, but you have to take care of that and that and that and that. That sounds more like some kind of a contract you have with an employer, but not with Jesus. You get everything. He throws everything in that you need. And some of you know those five years I had between 91 and 96 that I was just on the road and living on divine providence and things were flooding at me every single day. So these kind of experiences, at first they're a bit shocking because, you know, it just breaks the pattern of everything you've ever known in your life. But then when they start happening every day, you're, you're pretty convinced after this goes on for days and weeks and months and years, you know, it's, it becomes more natural. You're, it doesn't take your breath away after it's been going on for years and you actually feel like, well, of course, this is just the way that it works. I serve the plan and then everything I need is provided and you don't even give a thought to it. So we have had lots of experiences instead of just sticking with jobs and careers and bank accounts and investments and so on and so forth that the world would say is how you handle it. We've had experiences where, yeah, Michael owned a company and the spirit unwound him from that. Frances had her own company, spirit unwound her from that. Jenny shared her story. She was broke. <laughs> she was, she was, when she, when she first came, she was in debt, and, and Jesus is like, okay, we got one of these in debt, we got a debtor here, I'll take care of that, look at this. Lisa had her own company, Jason gave, it, gave everything he had, and, and Lisa left, <laughs> rolled laughing when Jason was concerned about giving over what he had, he was quite concerned, and then when he... He told the amount to Lisa of his life savings and everything he had. She just burst into laughter as if like, you're concerned about that? <laughs> you know. And so basically, you know, when we say you give it over, you give it over to the purpose. And you say, here Jesus, here's, my, here's the body, here's the bank account, here's the possession, here's my belief in ownership. Here's all my concerns about the future. Here's all the details that I've been struggling with for years to survive on planet Earth. And you keep, you just give it all over. Like, just really give it all over. It may be a heavy load. You may think, oh, this is heavy. I've been working so hard. But I give it to you. Why? To orchestrate time and space to help me as a miracle worker in my function so that I can share the joy of the kingdom of heaven. And if that is your, truly in your heart, what you're doing it for, if that is really the desire of your heart to serve the plan, then I tell you, the Spirit's going to knock your socks off. It's going to blow your hair back. The Spirit is going to just, 
it'll blow your earrings off. I mean, it, it just, it, it, it will be so dramatic that you're going to wonder like, why did I struggle so hard before if all this was offered to me? And admittedly, our community is a little bit different because we, we don't have private thoughts. We say no private thoughts, no people pleasing. We don't have a strong emphasis on private ownership. We don't have an emphasis on possession. Our flow is letting the Spirit use everything through us for the glory of God and for the blessing of the whole universe. And that's, that's so sincere that it comes from us that basically we have a lot of miracle stories to share because they happen on a daily basis. When we come together, when we come together for lunch, when we meet each other, we, what's going on? What's happening? Well, uh, the latest miracle story. Even this morning, one of our properties, the electricity went off. And uh, then they went to an, another property called, yeah, called Bliss. They're, they're there. There they are! <laughs> they're way, there they are. They're all packed in there. They lost their electricity. Guys, the electricity's back on in the other house now. You can, you can, uh, they're having too much fun, though. They're having too much fun. They all squeezed in to this little house called Bliss, and they're all having bliss and bliss. But, but, but they were willing to just... <laughs> there they are, packed in there. But it's, it always works out. It always works out. And that's what we're, we're here to share. Does, does, what, should we go through some of these? <laughs> you covered it all. <laughs> Well, uh, I can just read one that my light, my eyes fall on. Um, Judith, Judith Harrington asks, Can you talk about trust in divine providence when things seem difficult and not what you expected? In other words, how to hold on to the surrender of your situation and not react or lose faith? I am preparing to move down in the next few weeks to Chapala area and I am in the space of not knowing how anything will turn out. So that it really kind of relates to what Kirsten was talking about. Well they were they were on the train and they started to get some something messages coming through where things were not as expected at all and how to hold on to the surrender of your situation. And Kirsten shared, you know, they, they just went into prayer for 10 minutes, just giving over every thought about even of, of getting a visa, of getting to, to the appointment on time, just came back into that state of, no, we're here for joy and love and happiness. We're here in this moment. None of us knows what's going to happen in time and space, even if the script is written, human beings don't have like some, something that they can just tap into of knowing every last detail that will seem to arise and every last change that will happen. But I think, yeah, I think that, that's one of many questions that have been answered in the sense that, uh, you know, it, it comes down to that trust and prayer. And Judith, I know when you come down here to our area, you know, you're going to be You'll feel the love. You'll feel embraced by all of us. You'll just be loved up by all of us and, and loved up by Jesus in the miracle. 
I know that will be the case. Yes, I see. Thank you. There's so many questions here, but we have so many miracles. I think listening to Kirsten's parable just stirred up, oh yeah, that gratitude of, oh wow, there's been so many like that, where we feel like time and space has been arranged in many ways around practical things like that. Like, yeah, is anybody feeling one? Yeah, I would say even when it feels impossible, um, even then, even even when there is fear, like like David said, I was in debt when I came into the community, and I seem to have to dealt with like lack belief. Um, for, there was like a strong belief for me. So even a um, couple of years ago, I think it was, I was going to drive through Europe by myself. And so I thought I wouldn't um, pay for getting a decent like phone plan so that I could use my GPS in Europe. It worked in Sweden, but it would cost more to use data in Europe, so I didn't get that. So I thought if I turn on my GPS when I'm on my Wi-Fi in Sweden, when I start the tour, it will last because that's how the GPS works, even when I go the wrong way. And when I get redirected, it will work. But, you know, there is some yeah, faith there, or, you know, the lack thought may <laughs> have played in. So, so I, I started driving, and I got lost. And I had this phone, and it, it started to not work anymore. And I had been told before I was starting the tour that, I will be by the steering wheel. You rest, Jesus said to me. I will take the steering wheel. You rest. And I thought, that's stupid, you know, or that's impossible because I'm, Jesus says somewhere else, I'm, you are my arms and feet, you know, so I need to use it. Um, and at the point I was starting to be afraid because it was also in the evening and I was driving along in Holland, and <laughs> and the GPS didn't work, and it started to get dark. And then I thought, okay, in the past, usually it works to stop at gas stations and ask for help. And I saw some small, it was a small road, and there were some gas stations, and I stopped at one. And there was no, the girl there, she said, no, I, I don't know where that place is, that, where I was going. So I thought, okay, I continued. I just drove. <laughs> and then there was another one, and I stopped. And there was a whole busload of people that parked right before I came in there. And they lined up to you know, get what they needed. So I thought, okay, that's a sign. That's a no. So I just carried on driving. And, and I felt in my mind, okay, turn right here. And it, it was just a feeling. It was like, okay. And I trusted. So I did. And there was like, I, there was those turns, turn right, turn left, turn right. And I had no idea where I was. And I thought, I, and all the time the ego was saying, you're stupid, you're going the wrong way. <laughs> and I ended up in the right place. And it was amazing. And it, 
you know Europe, it's so many little towns, small roads, turns. It's not like America. So the feeling was I can go wrong everywhere, but the experience was I went right everywhere, and I came to my destination. And the day after, when the, this has happened, I was filled with so much love, and, and it was so expansive. So when I went out on the road again, uh, I almost thought, oh, the Holland is like an enlightened country because <laughs> it was such an experience. I've never had that experience on the road because everyone was like so smooth. It was like we were dancing. And, and if I went out in the other lane, the others moved. And it was like a dance. It was so beautiful. <laughs> so. Well, thank you, because that that's kind of throws it back, too, to what Kirsten was saying, too, about... Back in the, the first parable, she told us we didn't have iPhones with Google Maps and this and this. And nowadays, you know, with Apple Pay and so much technology that's happened in the last uh, 30 years. I know I've been going through a lot of these miracle experiences for like 30, 35 years. And the technology has shifted from the beginning years. We didn't have GPS. I didn't carry a cell phone um, when I was traveling. I, we had all these miracles around maps, and uh, some of you have, what was that uh, movie where they, they open the map up and the birds, leaving normal, where they, they go out and they open the map up and then the bird do falls on the map and they go, ah, there it is, this is where we're supposed to go. That's the kind of, that reminds me of the early days when I was traveling because uh, I, we didn't have the technology. And... And yet, some of the things you may say that are still somewhat there, like uh, Zach has a question here, and it involves money, and involves uh, the first four words are, is giving up money. That's the first four uh, words in the question. Money is so exchangeable for goods, for services, for so many things in the world, that I think Zach's question is a very pertinent question because money back three decades, four decades ago was very interchangeable for goods and services and, and anything that you need, meeting needs we'll call it. Money seems to be highly exchangeable for meeting needs. So I think Zach's question is pretty good. I'll read it and then we'll let the panel in uh, Utah and the panel here try to, to answer him. Zach is, is saying, is giving up money in form needed to bring about the change of mind needed to rest in divine providence? I realize that the Course would say the only thing needed is the change of mind. But in practice, I'm not sure how the change of mind occurs without actually giving up what you thought kept you safe before, so that you can see that you are safe without it. So this is a good deep question, because it's there's the form and then there's the mind, and the Course is telling us this is not a course in behavioral change, this is not a course in trying to change the effects, this is not really a course in trying to shape and change the outcomes, but it's changing your mind about your mind, changing the purpose. 
If the ego is a death wish, you're one a new purpose called forgiveness. If the ego is fear and guilt and doubt, you want a new purpose that has brings love and joy and happiness. So I'm going to throw that out to the panel. Is giving up money in form needed to bring about the change of mind needed to rest in divine providence? I think I'll something. Okay, Michael is here. Yeah, I am um, in the world of sort of doing these multi-million dollar deals and working with big sums of money and all sorts of things on a consistent basis and it became very boring actually I thought it was going to bring me happiness and the more I got involved the more it didn't and everything else that was happening in my life I just there was a much bigger thing rather than money that was in my mind that needed to shift and it was just like I was into the course and I'm thinking well I just I just want to be happy you know that's really what I want and what do I need to do Jesus to get happiness what is this you know and I was studying the course for myself for some time, and then I got into a course group, and happened to be led by Francis, my very first course group. <coughs> happened to be 15 minutes down the road. And uh, I came across this David Hoff somewhere or another. Um, <coughs> I was given these tapes at these, uh, I think they were tapes at the time, maybe CDs. And I plugged them in my car, and they never left my stereo, you know. And I could really start seeing that there is a different purpose for my life in general. You know, in the overall, I needed, there was a shift I needed in my... I needed a shift. Something needed to change, you know. And I still didn't know exactly what that was, but as, as it went on, I could just see that I really needed a shift in mind. And then I saw with, my, with the money, I, I, I had an idea, altruistic ideas with funds, but it just never really sort of happened. You know, I wanted to make more to create these magnificent spiritual centres. I had all these funny, fancy ideas that really the ego got a hold of. And I just did something simple, actually, and I just, and I, I feel like this is moving into something, just moving into simple steps. And I talked about the small steps on the first day, and I really believe in the small steps because I was such an A to Zeta. You know, I always wanted things big, always had to be massive. I had a lot of staff and a lot of people I could delegate to, you know, almost had people tying my shoes even, you know. So there was this big unwinding the spirit needed to do with me to not expect things, to let go of expectations and things, and to really come into a place of humbleness and gratefulness. I had big leaps. There's a long way for me to go. And it really had to happen in small steps for me to really take it on, not to have behavioural changes, but real shifts in my mind. And I just remember one very significant thing that I didn't realise how significant it was at the time, but later on I noticed it was doing something like saying, Spirit, I, I give my money to you. You know, if we want to talk specifically money, it was all my life, but money was a specific one. And I created something very simple like a Google... Uh, in my Gmail, a, a Holy Spirit money folder. I'm just called Holy Spirit's Funds. I call it Holy Spirit's Money, actually. It was just something very simple, and yet anything to do with money, I would put into that folder, and then I'd have to, when I had to go find it, it wasn't a money folder or a finance folder, it was Holy Spirit's Funds folder. And so it was just that reinforcement in my mind, you know, oh, what am I going to do with these funds? I, um, uh, what am I, yeah, I've got to go to this folder. Oh, Holy Spirit's Funds, right. So the, suddenly it was just like an automatic pausing and praying each time I was going to do something with these funds rather than just an old way of treating them or handling them. It was really just going, okay, the Holy Spirit's funds, right? I can't just get, it's my own self-interest is now moving aside. And I didn't really even know what that meant, you know, in a way, but it was just like it was, it was happening. 
to me because the prayer was there and then these little steps were being were taking place the Holy Spirit fund folder and and just um, and then you know it just naturally started happening with my mind moving in that direction that mighty companions came in and it was really helpful in joining with them about decisions you know things that I had in mind that I wanted to move towards or even bouncing boards you know, having oftentimes we have a bouncing board, someone we bounce off. But who do you bounce off? You know, if you're bouncing off a friend you have for 20 years and you're not happy, maybe you want a different bouncing board. You know, <laughs> if you've got other other ones that really have a deep, you know, purpose that you want to move towards, maybe they'd be helpful bouncing boards. You know, and you don't blindly go with it. But you know, if you've got something in mind, I want to move. I'm thinking about moving this direction. You bounce off them. It can be just very helpful. So they were some really helpful steps I found that were really helpful, you know, and it helped undoing my mind. So I guess that's that for the moment. Mm -hmm. I I can keep going. (laughs) There's a lot I could get into. But I actually want to shift now because I was such a big picture thinker and just believing that was such a gift, you know. It was funny when I first came in towards the community, the very first, one of the first assignments I had was going to Greg and Sue's property in Yarry where I was looking after a property that was off the grid that didn't have electricity or water. I had to literally fetch water, (laughs) chop wood. And there was no one to delegate to. It was me and Melanie at the time. And there was kangaroos and there was a dog. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't really do much of that stuff. So I really had to learn to do this this stuff myself. And I just remember... um, you know, how annoyed I was actually to start with. <laughs> but how healing it became when I really gave myself to it. I really didn't have much of a choice. But I, I gave myself to it and I, I just had like this mystical experience this time. I just remember this so deeply where I was just, um, I was raking some leaves. And what I was doing was raking some leaves. And I just, you know, I remember just before that thinking, Jesus, who can rake these damn leaves? You know, I have to go out there and do it. And so I just said, okay, I'm going to do it. And I started with a grievance. And then I just said, I, there's no one else to do this. I've got to do this. So I'm doing it. And I'm, I, I can do this with a grievance or I can do it with joy is what was in my mind. And I started raking. And I started getting into all this joy, just raking these leaves and really raking them very mindfully. And then I got into this absolute joy and like I say like this mystical experience I just felt where I wasn't even holding a rake at the time and just realizing how purposeful this was and how joyful this was so much more than being a CEO I just remember that so specifically at the time it was like such a huge thing it might seem really silly but it was a very significant thing in my mind and so just what I revel in now and the focus is the present moment and coming into that mindfulness of, of the present moment. I've, I, I found that the big picture thinking took me so out of the present moment, it was impossible to. It was like a classic egoic device just to have your future planning all the time. You know, I was into, we were building all these houses and so it's like we were totally focused on nine months ahead. That was like the whole focus. Okay, so you get a sale now, you've got, you're good for nine months and we've got all these sales, but what's happening in nine months' time? We've got to market, we've got to, you know, get our marketing right, we've got all these strateg- all this strategizing all the time about the future. It had nothing to do with the present moment. The present was like it was handled nine months down the track, you know. If I didn't have that <laughs> handled, then the present was stuffed. It was basically that's what it looked like. And so the the training, and it's been a lot of undoing, is to come into the present moment. And more I found I've come into the little things and just enjoying I think it's is it Saint Therese? The, the saint of little things. I just love that little... It's a very beautiful little movie, actually. Enjoying the little things. I, um, 
I just get the joy in that now, that when I can just, you know, we, we, there's been amazing properties come in now, and I used to be in the property business, it's funny. And now they, you know, it, it's just not that exciting to me. It's fine, but it's just like part of the flow. I just, something very simple, like this morning we had no electricity at La Casa, and so I've come here a little bit early with the guys because we needed extra cars for the, for the other guys to be able to go and get some internet. So I came here early and I realised I wasn't able to shave this morning. At La Casa, there was no water. And just being able to go to Jeffrey and just saying, oh, do you happen to have a disposable razor or just an old razor I can just shave? He said, oh, I'm not going to give you a disposable. I'm going to give you a brand new one, you know? Not that I had any, any thought about that. I, and I just thought it was just like there was no expectation in my mind. He said, I'm going to give you... I said, just give me a towel that you've... Given. No, no, I'm going to give you a fresh towel. It was just like it doesn't seem much, but it was just so... I'm just so grateful. It's just like he gave you... It's just like I use my bathroom and here it is. And, you know, and you've different types of shaving cream you can even use. And it was just like it just... It just... It might seem so simple, but but I'm just so grateful that, you know, there's like no expectation in my mind. I didn't even think it. It just popped in my mind. Oh, I happened to be here early. It'd be great to have a shave. I was looking a bit scruffy, you know. And, and with that, I'm just so grateful for that, you know, just something seemingly a little, little like that. And he said, oh, no, it's just like David. David doesn't care about anything, but he seems to get all this stuff. And I said, and, and he just doesn't care. It's funny how that happens. And I say, yeah, because it's not about him. It's not about that. It's about me. It's what, it serves me. I do this in the joy, of, for example, of, helping David with things because the spirit comes through so beautifully through him. It's like this flow of support. I just want to, I want my mind to go into the direction of the spirit all the time. That's all I want to be is in the direction of the spirit. And then I look at today's lesson. All that I give is given to myself. It's like, oh my God, it's amazing. You know, it's like, that's all I want. I just want to, I just want, I just want, I just want to be in line with the spirit and go in the flow of the support of the spirit wherever that is you know it's in the past it seemed like i've helped other elders or something they might be going to a on, a, on this big trip and there's a lot to handle and and i used to have a grievance thing thinking well, why don't they handle their own stuff you know and yet when i moved in that flow of sport i just want to help them because that's where the spirit is sort of moving at the moment there's this joy that comes when i really want to give myself to the spirit this is this is divine providence you know this is it it's like it it's it's everything. It's not that it's one particular thing. It's not about me, you know. It's about, it, it's about everything. It's about being in the flow of the support of the Spirit. And then ultimately, I, I have to be fully taken care of. And I will be in the joy when I get out of the way, you know, and really use this, this puppet, mm. put it on the spring, strings of the Spirit. It's never going to look how I think it should look, how the ego thinks it's going to look. It's always. I marvel at how opposite is consistently you know how it's how it looks so that's divine providence for me mm. thank you <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank you i have another parable at least someone there has one someone has one Francis. well i can just um yeah, I feel very touched by by Kirsten's parable and Michael's, and I just felt like even yesterday's movie gave me this this kind of idea that is just the, the spirit. You know, it all ties back to what David was sharing yesterday morning. We we actually don't know what we want. We don't know the end result. So questions come up um, in a way that can I get this, or do I have to give this up? But even the movie 
you know, he probably would be um, interested in listening because there is some kind of reward in the in the realm that he can understand. But really, the spirit knows the heart of what he wants, and he wants this love and connection that is going to wash through his mind so much so that he doesn't perceive any lack and have no worries and concerns in the world anymore. And yet you can't just say, I'm going to give you happiness to start with because it's not good enough for him where he was at. So it's just like such a a walk of trust to to even go there and... um, and allow the means to be provided, and then in the end you see the goal, that even the question that you're, you're asking to achieve a certain goal, that goal to start with is completely not what you want. So I just, yeah, I just love that, that, some, that that's one sentence really sums this whole journey. At first I realized I don't know what result is the best. I don't know how to achieve then in the end, I realized I actually don't even know the goal that I want to achieve. And it's just such a beautiful journey because the Spirit wants us to ask instead of, do I have to give up this and do I have to give up that? The Spirit wants to ask, do you want all my love for you? Do you want it all? Like, how, how can I give you everything and make you realize that in your awareness that you actually do have everything. And I have like a little experience came to my mind, but I remember um, when I was in Australia about a year and a half ago, I had I have a, a friend, a very close friend who who uh, was with me when I had this um, Cross of Miracle um, groups group in, in Australia. And then I left to come to United States. So we we weren't really in touch. I know she's on the same path, but kind of not really in touch. And then she, yeah, she emailed me and said, I'm going to put my apartment on Airbnb, but I just want to let you know that if you, any chance if you happen to come to visit, let me know. I, I will push it off. And I said, well, actually, I I do. I am coming um, in a few months. So she said, okay, I will make all the arrangement. I will host you. You have a bedroom here when, when you're in Sydney. So when we were together, um, she she was telling me all her experiences and what she got into. And she said, I'm, I'm doing a channeling course. And it's really exciting because it's really about letting go of all your beliefs and and well, I listen. I, you know, I'm not myself. I listen to what comes through. And she said, "Do you want to do a channeling, less a session with me, so that I can practice?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." I actually did have some questions in mind because that was the end of a world tour, and I actually felt there was some kind of big shift happening. I felt a big traveling phase together with David was ending 2016 the movie didn't come in at that point in my awareness yet but I thought something is, is happening I don't know what it is I can ask so I, I well, we, she started this channeling session and, and then we sat face to face and I started to ask questions I said okay so what is 
what is going on? Something is some big shift is happening. What is that I'm supposed to do? What is I need to do to prepare? So I have specific questions about what needs to happen or whether there's something I'm, I need to do. I'm, I need to be aware of. And she said, "Okay, I, I see three guides. You know, they're behind you. They're." So she was kind of getting into it. Start, and then she said, "Do you want me to just talk to you?" Basically, they're gonna talk through me to you. I said, "Okay." Then, then she started. Okay, and very quickly she started to get into this deep gratitude of just saying to me how much, how much she is, because the guy says. Is grateful that I'm on this path, and there's absolutely nothing I need to do. There's no more I can do, and it's just this ultimate gratitude and 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 love that's pouring through her, and she just couldn't talk anymore. And it took her hours. We we sit in this in tears and bawling together for hours for this this message and love to come through her. And I just like I was sitting there, just being showered, showered by, by the love that seems come from an old friend. And uh, and she just like floored afterwards for hours. Of she's like I have never imagined this is possible, out of a channeling session. And there was no specific question that got answered except that we're so grateful. And we love we love you so much, and so grateful for what you're doing. And so that was like a powerful. But I actually forgot about that quickly. I came back to Utah and got into this a huge project to make a documentary film. So a year passed, and I was in the middle of this project. And she contacted me again. She said, "Can we have a one-on-one session?" I got into a new relationship and have some questions. So we had a, another Skype call,、um, you know, after that encounter, and she said, "Hey, do you want to do another channeling session again? Because I really need someone to practice." <laughs> I said, "Sure, sure. Let's let's do one、uh, over Skype." I said, "I really have specific questions this time because I have I got into the movie. I I need to know how." Like how to approach this and how long this movie is. So I asked all my specific questions, and she started to answer. Then very quickly again, it got the exact same thing. She started to say how much they're grateful, and she just cry and cry and cry out of that laugh. And we were in that together. She reminded me. She said, "I don't know what is this with you because every time I got into this." And then again, no specific questions got answered, but the the rest and the love that we both felt, I didn't need anything to be answered, actually after that session. And I thought, wow, that is, you know, how a friend, how friendship turned into. Like there's kind of experience that serves her and serves me, and and washes my mind from all kinds of questions about. What needs to do in specifics? So I just feel like, like the guy in the movie yesterday. I feel like the spirit needs me to know there's something way more important 
than anything in this world. And and unfortunately, I I didn't really know. I just you know strive, strive, strive for goals and goals and try to please my mom and approval and approval. And I didn't even know there is something else. And it's just this kind of experience just wash me away and blow me away and then realize, whoa, this is this is what divine providence is about. This is what the spirit wants to give. And in that experience, in that experience, suddenly you feel so complete and so content. There is no lack come from the source to see anything that is lacking in the form anymore. And just no questions that even that's even rise up. So uh, it's a beautiful. It's like a swirl of gratitude is the whole that's like the lesson. And that is the divine providence. It's almost like all the specifics Questions, even about divine providence, fall away in that gratitude. And here, you know, it's fun, you know, for you all to give us the opportunity to share some of these miracles as we're feeling our our eyes well up, and because we're it's just tapping in. Like when Kirsten gave that first parable, she was going right back. Whenever you share it, you go right back into the actual experience of it in the full blown magnitude of what it is. Even when Michael was just sharing uh, about that mystical experience he had uh, raking leaves, it reminds me, Lisa and I had an experience with Ben one time, and Ben uh, at the monastery to go out and rake the leaves, and, and out he goes dressed in this colorful long thing with his rake, and he's so willing to go out and rake the leaves, and just when he goes out, the biggest windstorm uh, we have ever seen comes up at the monastery, and the leaves are blowing everywhere. They're like ten feet in the air. They're all, and he's out there with his rake, and he's in this long dancing, dancing with. The, we're just like looking out the window, like he's raking the leaves. He was out there. The leaves were all around him, swirling like swirling in joy, and that that's just like your mystical experience. It's not. It's not really about getting something done in form. It's about tapping into the joy, the glee of, of how grateful the Spirit is for us to be in function, to be willing to serve in, in a greater plan, just to step in, not to try to figure it out. What was that thing I shared, that one long sentence yesterday? You, you cannot know the, the three things. The outcome is best. What outcome is best? The means to achieve the goal or the problem that the plan was meant to solve. All three of those things you cannot know. You can't. That's amazing. That's amazing to think. It almost sounds like the Mr. Magoo School of Enlightenment. Um, <laughs> you know, somebody can write that down and start it up the Mr. Magoo school of life because Mr. Magoo is this character that is always clueless he's, his eyes are always like blinking and his, he can't see and he's just clueless of everything but that, that whole sentence is be clueless for me and feel the joy and feel the happiness 
Now that goes against all our programming and all of our conditioning about education and skill development and and marketing plans and plan for the future. You know, the ego is quite clever and ingenious to trick us into believing that we're stuck on the timeline and we're not good enough, we're not worthy enough, and we have to do, 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 do all these things to prove how worthy we are. When in fact the Spirit's like saying, that's a trick. And you are not a human doing, you are a human being, and more than that, you're just a perfect being of light. But for a while you need to be done through by the Spirit, so you can lighten up from this doer concept that blocks you from the present moment. You can't be a doer and be in the holy instant. There is no body in the holy instant, so there can't be a doer there. So. It's just great that we can all share this openly and freely and see how important this is because this is encouraging, this is really inspiring us to, to cut loose and go for it. And we are so privileged to have these witnesses around us, surrounding us everywhere, saying it's okay to cut loose. It's okay to give yourself permission to go for this, even if it flies in the face of all your conditioning and all your past learning, then it's still okay because the past learning, even about good friendships and about nutrition and about economics and medicine, all these things that we thought were practical are turning out to be not practical. They're turning out to be idolatry. And what's really turning out to be practical is guidance and trust and following that inner intuition that knows the way home. It really is very, very strong. Ah, oh, amazing. Kirsten, did you have, you had a parable to share. I do, I do. And I think um, it may somewhat relate to uh, Laura had a question. She was just like an outpouring with some confusion, like desiring clarity around trust and divine providence. And if this is all my mind, but I left breadcrumbs in the road, like as, as symbols of my right mind, or maybe symbols, are they symbols of divine providence? But it's confusing because some of the symbols, yeah, they're not loving. Um, so who is the symbol of unconditional love? And uh, there is a sadness that I'm not experiencing it, for example, with my mother. Could it be that the sadness is redirecting me and also in some way pulls my heart towards God is that divine providence showing me as my mother or this retreat or I don't know so it's a big I don't know question but um the parable that was coming to my mind to share was another early days kind of parable when we were over you know we started off in Cincinnati and um and Lisa was just coming in to, to join in and live in community with us. And Jason and I were just um, entering into a new relationship together. And I hadn't been back to New Zealand for quite a while, like maybe a year and a half. And so we had a trip planned that we were going to go down to New Zealand and do a tour, a group of us, to do some travels to New Zealand and Australia. And so I had the thought that I could go early. I could go six weeks early, like before you guys flew down. So I could spend some time with family and <clears throat> I had visions of 
walking on the beach and meditating and having a bit of time out after all of this intensity <laughs> with all the mind draining. And so I had some, like, I didn't really know if that was the guidance at the time. And I could feel like maybe there's specialness involved and some guilt, like I've been away from my family for so long. So I wasn't completely clear on the guidance to go, but I, I booked the ticket that was a month in advance. So coming up to the time where I was going to fly, that was when Lisa joined in and was there. And then her and Jason and I were in this really beautiful, deep assignment together of mind training. And, and we had this, our first little retreat center property had come in and we were going to have a retreat and people were coming and I was leaving, like flying off to New Zealand on my own six weeks early. And suddenly I started to feel like I've messed up. Like I think I've really messed up on in the plan. And so I tried to change the ticket and I called the airline and they said, well, no, it's going to cost you $1,200, you know, to change that flight. I was like, you know, that that's just not a good use of the Holy Spirit's money to spend $1,200 on, on changing a flight. So I remember as it was getting closer, and really the whole point of the story is to share how you cannot mess it up. Because I was, I was doing my best to try to feel into the guidance and go with the plan, but there was some interference pattern in there, but I wasn't really clear and I didn't know for sure what I was supposed to do. So the days approached and I was getting more and more of this feeling like, why am I going to New Zealand early? Everything's happening here in the States. Like we were, there was such a depth. I could feel this was where I was meant to be. So anyway, I, I was like, okay, well, the spirit, somehow Jesus will interfere if I'm not meant to go. So I packed my bag. <laughs> I remember going downstairs and Lisa was at the front door going, well, bye. It feels really weird. <laughs> I don't know why you're going. And I'm like, I know we couldn't even really had to say goodbye. We could just feel this isn't the spirit's plan. <laughs> so I got on the first leg of my flight. It was going to Chicago and then down to Atlanta and then across to LA and then from LA all the way to Auckland. So I get on the first plane and I'm flying to Chicago and it's the winter and there's an ice storm that comes into Chicago airport. So we land and we can't get off the plane for me to get my next flight. And the airline steward comes over and says, we're really sorry, but this flight's being delayed. You know, we can't get you off the plane. And, and I'm like, I'm going to miss my next flight. So I could feel all this guilt. Like it's my fault. It's all my fault, the whole thing. And, and I'm stuck now without God because I've made a mistake, you know, and I'm not in alignment with God's will. So I just had to stay in prayer. And finally, finally, we get off the plane. Um, you know, I've missed my flight to Atlanta. I get a later flight to Atlanta. And then I've missed my onward flight. And then I was there. And by then I was in a panic. And I remember feeling like if I miss this flight to L.A., I'll miss the flight to, to Auckland. And all I could feel was this responsibility and this guilt. And 
I talked to one of the airline people and they said, well, we can just get you on a flight to LA and yeah, you'll miss your next flight, but you can just be there, you know, and then see if you can get a flight from there. And it felt like a big black hole. So I could just feel at least that, like, no, that's not the direction. Okay, call home. I was like, ET, phone home. So I just called you, David. I just called home to Cincinnati, like, okay, mighty companions, help. So I just shared this, you know, responsibility and this guilt. And and I remember what you said, David. It was, you just said, Kirsten, you've forgotten why you're in the Atlanta airport. And I'm like, huh? said, you're there to be a miracle worker. I was like, oh, <laughs> you're there to be a miracle worker. You're there to shine your light. And I looked around me in this airport scene. It was like chaos. Everyone was in fear. Everyone was in panic. Everyone was worried about their onward flights and money and what it was costing them and responsibility and guilt. And I was like, okay okay, again, I just have to trust, just let go of the whole thing. And I remembered back to when I'd first been looking at trying to change my flight with Jason. And we said, well, what would have been ideal really is if I'd gone three weeks later, like on the 19th of February. So I was just there a couple of weeks early instead of you know five or six weeks, but that was going to cost $1,200 to change. So I'd forgotten about that and I went up to the airline steward and by then I was in prayer and I said, okay, what can we do? I need to get a flight that's going to line up, you know, and get me to Auckland. And she said, okay, let's have a look. She got out the calendar. She's looking through all these options. She said, no, there's no, that would cost a thousand. No, that would cost 600. That would cost 800. No, we can't do this. We can't. And she just said, look, the only thing I can do, she said, there is a flight that will get you to Auckland, like from LA to Auckland on the 19th of February. It's in three weeks' time. This is ridiculous. I don't know why I'm even telling you this. But I could get you on a free flight back to Cincinnati tomorrow morning, and you could just stay there for three weeks, and then you could catch this whole flight again <laughs> <laughs> on the 19th of February. Oh. And I just... I couldn't believe it. I called some friends in Atlanta. I was like, Camille, John, I'm in Atlanta for one night and then I'm going back to Cincinnati. They said, oh, wow, we'll come pick you up. We'd love to spend the night with you. (laughs) So it was just this, yeah, this experience of being shown. You can't mess it up. Mm. And sometimes we just, we don't know, you know, what is the plan? And we're just trying our best to feel into the guidance. And at the end of the day, it's all just going to work out and I know even if I had got to New Zealand it would have been okay I it's really our state of mind you know that we're that we're healing here but if that's really the strong desire then Jesus just comes up underneath it you know once again and just I said okay I got you yeah that's beautiful I'm I'm so glad you're sharing that because it's like when we forget that the goal is present happiness and we get off into anything of the past or the future, you know, we've, we've gone in a, a dark direction. And the, the present happiness is always the goal. And so a lot of the parables that I've experienced all seem to be around uh, what 
Francis was talking about, we don't really know what the orientation is, but when we're looking into time, we've forgotten that it's just about being happy now. It's like that's so simple that it's overlooked, that all of our learning and conditioning has been to overlook the present moment. And the, and the funniest parables and the most glorious ones all seem to have that theme. I was thinking of a time where Lisa was over in uh, her house in Harrisburg and, and we were going to take a trip together and, and so we thought, let's go to Arizona. And we looked for where's the airport and she said, I could drive down from Harrisburg down to uh, Baltimore. And I said, okay, well I can fly over and I'll meet you in Baltimore. And we just thought we would come together in Baltimore and go down to Arizona. And so we, we booked our tickets and we went there. And we did have one slight whim was we'll meet at the airport and we'll have, uh, let's have a nice dinner. That was all we thought, we'll have a nice dinner and we'll fly. Well, we get there and uh, we do meet, we go to the counter and they said the, the crew did not show up. That's the first time ever I've been to a place where they say the crew did not show up. And so we just looked at each other and we were like, okay, uh, we have a flight. Uh, and they said, well, the flight's canceled. And we said, well, okay. They, so they give us a voucher for a free, a nice free meal. And we looked at each other, there's the free meal. Yet we wanted to just have a meal together at the airport, so they give us vouchers. And then at some point they say, well, what, what do you want? This is great when you go to the, the front desk of an airport and they say to you, what do you want? They did nothing more. It was such an open-ended uh, question. What do you want? And we looked at each other and we thought, well, thank you for the free meal and uh, we do want to go to Arizona. But they didn't have a flight to Arizona, so they literally got somebody from the airlines with a credit card to take us to a competitor airline <laughs> with their credit card from their company to another airline and to buy us a ticket. And they said, we can't get you to that city. I think uh, there was two cities, we Tucson. Tucson or Phoenix. Yeah, Tucson or well, Phoenix. we wanted to go to Tucson. That was our original goal. Yeah. And, and we said, just get us anywhere. Yeah, just get we us. Care we don't care. Just, we'll have a free meal here and get us to Arizona. So they shifted us to another city. We had already booked a rental car. And the, they, okay, they book us this ticket. So we're just having fun. We, have, we enjoy the meal. We go, now we go to get on this new flight to a different city. I think it was to Phoenix, Phoenix or something. And so we're there and we're waiting with a queue of people and we're waiting to get onto the plane and, was, and we're just having so much fun because we're just happy that we're, we're together really. We're just enjoying the miracle. And then we're waiting there to go on and then they come on the speaker and they said, we're sorry, uh, this plane, the plane is broke. <laughs> and we said, First they ask us, what do you want? Then we go, and then they said, the plane is broke. <laughs> it came up. Ladies and gentlemen, we're sorry. The plane is broke. 
It sounds like something a three-year-old would say. Mommy, my plane is broke. This is like at an airline. We're like, the plane is broke. <laughs> the whole bunch of us that were waiting there to get on the plane, we just burst into laughter. People were even getting their cell phones out. <laughs> they said the plane is broke. They're calling their spouses. The plane is broke. They told us the plane is broke. Everybody's making fun of the airline, of the announcer, because the plane is broke. This is our second flight. Remember the first one was canceled. The, the crew didn't show up. Now we're waiting there. The plane is broke. So we're all howling, laughing. And they heard us like a bunch of animals. They heard us down to another gate because apparently something had broke on, we don't even know, a windshield. I think it was a windshield wiper or something had broken. They told us the planes broke. So we're laughing all the way down. We finally get on the plane that's going to take us to Arizona, and we land in this city, but we've booked our rental car at the other airport. So we go up to the, uh, it was Avis, and we walk up, we say, we got our luggage, we say, finally, it's pretty late at night, we say, okay, listen, we booked our, our stuff with Avis over, but it's this other city, and he says, come here. And so we go there and everything, and he's, he is so mad I have never seen such an angry uh, rental car salesperson. He is so angry, and, and he's, he's muttering under his breath, I hate my company, I hate my company. We're like, well, maybe we need to do a little, hate my job. Hate my job. Let's counsel with him a little. He's like really, really angry. And so he hates, and so he's like, I'm giving you guys an upgrade. And I'm I'm going to get back at my company. I'm giving you an upgrade, and then, and then this is the stupidest company. I'm giving a, you an upgrade. This is the stupidest. Company. I hate this company. The com my company slogan is Avis. We try harder. And he said, Avis, I am harder. My heart feels harder <laughs> to work for this company. We're still using MS DOS. It was like this old. Some of you don't even. It was this old programming, old computers. He hated his company. He's giving us an upgrade. He's going to give us an upgrade. And then he's, I'm giving you a double upgrade. I'm giving you a double upgrade. I'm just getting back at him. And we said, all right, we'll take it. And then, and then he, we have to go out in the dark. And now it's a little bit later. It's getting later at night. And he's like saying, listen, go out and you go to this spot in the dark and it'll have a number and you'll get this like double upgrade. So we walk out there. And we go there, and there, there's no vehicle in the space. <laughs> and we're just laughing, going, okay. And so this guy comes out, and he goes, we got a problem out here. we got these two people that are, it's late at night here, and we're out here, and they gave us a number, but there's no vehicle in there. And so they go back to the guy who hates the company, and he says, get him, send him back in here. I'm giving him a triple upgrade. <laughs> it's terrible. So... Finally, it gets out. It's like past midnight. It's like 12.30 night. We're in like this town car. It's one of these it's like... It's like a Lincoln Continental. Lincoln Continental. He's given us the biggest, most expensive like a limo. car that he can give to us. So we've, we've had a canceled flight, a broken plane. We finally get there and we get into a triple upgrade. We're in like a Lincoln town car and I'm driving and... And uh, he's, he said, I'm, I'm throwing in more than that. I'm giving you a voucher to stay at this 
hotel. <laughs> He's really going to get back at this company. I'm giving you a, a voucher to stay. So I get in the car. I've never been in the Lincoln Town car. I'm like pushing buttons. Oh, it's got Sirius. It's got uh, like uh, satellite. We're like, you know, I'm used to Toyotas and Hondas. I'm, I'm pushing all the buttons, having fun. David likes to have fun a little with luxurious things that he doesn't get to play with very often. So I'm in there, and Lisa's sitting across from me over there, and she's just laughing, howling, laughing. And I said, here, I'll drive, you navigate. And she says, okay, I got the voucher. It's this big voucher for this thing. So she says, turn left here, and it's the middle of the night. It's probably like 12.30 going on, 1 in the morning. Turn here, turn here. I'm like, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. As I go there, it's this huge hotel with lights and pool and fountains. And it's like, he's given us a triple upgrade and the top of the line hotel. So we got our, our flight, our free meal. We get there. Now I'm like, so I'm like, holy cow, look at this place. So we go there, but it's probably 12.30 going on one in the morning, we go, bzz, bzz, the door's locked, we can't, it, it can't get in, it's, it's too late. So we're like buzzing, buzzing, <laughs> we're trying to get in there, we're trying to get in. Finally the guy comes, the only, the one guy is at the thing, and he comes in there, and he says, do you have a reservation? I said, pulled out my voucher. He goes, okay, so he's there, and he goes, he's trying to fill our order, and he says, hmm, Hmm. <laughs> hmm. We're all like, we're just laughing so hard now. We're like, what next? And finally he goes, oh, it's your lucky day. <laughs> and I said, we said, our lucky day. Well, let us tell you about it. So we, we tell him about the free meal, the plane buying us a new, to a city we didn't even plan to go to. And this is like a Lucille Ball episode. You know, we're having fun, but it's just... And then a triple upgrade, and now the voucher. He goes, penthouse. Uh, the wedding honeymoon suite. <laughs> so, all they have left at this elegant hotel. And so I'm just like... And he's like... And we tell him our story about how our day's going. And he says, listen... You guys are hot right now. You guys are really hot. There's a casino <laughs> that's actually there's a casino that's not that far. From this. <laughs> He's trying to get us to go to a casino. He said, "You guys, everything you touch is going good. So let's get you to the casino." We're like, "Listen, it's going at one o'clock in the morning. We're tired, and it's been a, it's been enough. We've had a wild ride, but it's been enough. So just give us the key." So we go up there, top to the honeymoon suite, we go in there, and I look out over the deck, and I look down there, and there's this gorgeous swimming pool. And I said, I'm still just so high, I can't go to sleep. I want to go in the swimming pool, but it's one something in the morning, it's probably way past the hours. Anyway, I go down to the same guy, and he goes, well, you know, it's not the, the right hours, but I, I can give you a key to get you in there. So I got to go swimming at one something in the morning in this. But that's the key, the point of it is, as we're approaching the, the 12 o'clock hour, the point of it is, is if the more you can take your parameters off the prayer, if you just went to Jesus and said, listen, I've believed I've been a body. I believe I'm a human being. I know I messed up 
big time by forgetting I'm spirit, I believe I'm a body. But I, I just want to be happy. And I don't know the way to happiness. But you do. And I don't really have to go anywhere. I don't have to go to Tucson or Phoenix. I don't have to be on time. I don't have to... Really, if you want, I don't even have to work a job. If you'll handle everything and handle all my debts and handle everything... Jenny came, she had debts. Holy Spirit, Jesus like, no problem. You own a company, you have debts, I can handle it. It's time and space. I'll just rearrange it. But if you just wanted to be happy... And you said to God, if you said to Jesus, Holy Spirit, I just want to be happy. And I'm not going to put any parameters on the prayer and say, I want this and this and handle that and do this and this. But if I just pray for happiness, you know, that is the highest prayer you can pray because God's will for you is perfect happiness. Not just happy, but perfect happiness. And if you take the parameters off and you just say, I want to be happy, you just be ready because the prayers are answered and those parables we're just sharing, like the last one, we really did not have, you know, okay we had a whim to have a, a nice meal together, it was free, okay we got, we had a whim to fly to Arizona, it just worked out and it, we got a lot of bonuses thrown in, but the best thing is, is we, we really weren't set on outcomes. We really weren't set on outcome. Nor were we trying to figure anything out. We were just happy to be together in the miracle. We really weren't trying to figure anything out. We weren't trying to manifest anything. We weren't trying to guide the script. We weren't trying to rearrange the script. We weren't trying to direct the plan. We just were happy learners saying, show me. You arrange it all. And we got to meet the guy who was angry, so we lightened his day. Believe it or not, he actually had a smile on his face after he gave us a triple upgrade. He waved us out the door, a triple upgrade, and, and ended up being a honeymoon suite. He gave us all he could give us, probably, in the parameters that he had to operate with. But he was happy. He went from angry to happy. And you start spreading the joy when you're in that frame of mind. Like Kirsten said, we're here to be miracle workers. We're here to bring joy. We're here to bring glee and happiness. And we are not in charge of how the form goes. So, it's, I think I'm getting, it's time to, to send it off. It's time to go to Jeff. High on the, way up there. High. His state of mind is even higher than the Andes mountains. It's, Jeff, Jeff is higher than the Andes. <laughs> and we can wave. There's our camera over there in the corner. You can see all of us. So <laughs> beautiful. Everyone looks so happy. Take it away, Jeff. 